Hey everyone, this is Dory. Today we're digging into our archives for an episode that is one of our absolute favorites, but we're playing it today for a very bittersweet reason. We learned this week that Cafe Natasha will close at the end of April, so the matriarch of the Barami family can retire after nearly 40 years in the St. Louis restaurant scene. But the family promises this is not a goodbye, it's a transition. That's what they said on Facebook this week. They're going to reopen a new concept in that same space, which we should learn more about over the next couple weeks. Something that won't be changing is the gin room. It's a space attached to the restaurant. It's run by Natasha Barami, namesake of Cafe Natasha. She has blazed a gin-soaked trail in a town that is crazy about beer and she's made history in the process. Take a listen to our conversation from last summer, one of the ones we just love listening back to. We'll start with a history lesson. The word gin is derived from Jennifer, or Jennifer, 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 I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, but it's Dutch for juniper. No doubt the first thing you think of if you know much of anything about what goes into making this drink, which has been sipped upon since the 1600s. formulated as a medicine. You might actually still notice a more medicinal look to the bottles than other spirits, now that you know to look for it. Historians note that people liked it so much they began reporting illnesses more frequently so a doctor would bring them some of this Jennifer. It had a calming, courage-building effect, according to the Dutch soldiers in the Thirty-Year War at least, so they brought it onto the battlefield. Man, the stuff they don't teach you in history class. The gin craze, scholars will note, began around the 1720s in London, where they drank gin to avoid the highly prevalent waterborne diseases at the time. Of course, this was not good for them. It led to a lot of debauchery, you could say, among the poorer people who could afford gin more easily than beer or wine or even clean water. Eventually, things were regulated, science advanced, gin became more of a gentleman's drink. In the 1800s, the British began sipping tonic water as they roamed about the world and staked their claim in the more tropical parts of it because the quinine in it repelled mosquitoes. But tonic was pretty bitter on its own. So they added gin. Again, all in the name of staying healthy. But somewhere along the line, gin felt out of favor, perhaps because of the association with the drunken, dangerous lives of London's poor, or even with the Prohibition-era bootlegged bathtub gin designed to get you drunk at any cost, which was sometimes pretty high. Only in the last 10 years or so has gin begun to reclaim its place on cocktail menus, both craft and corny. Or have you even thought to pick up a bottle for a party or to restock your liquor cart? Now, we cannot talk about the future of gin without one person, Natasha Barami, the St. Louis girl, the gin girl, and the first American woman inducted into the Gin Hall of Fame. What's really exciting about this accolade and that we've been, we, when I say we, I mean the United States, I mean Missouri, I mean St. Louis, we have been inducted into the Global Gin Hall of Fame. 
St. Louis, it is a gin world, baby, and Natasha is teaching us to live in it. She's making St. Louis its capital. How she combined a love for the spirit with her family's restaurant to create a destination for aficionados and explorers alike. We wanted to create a demographic base that could fall in love with gin. Why she gets excited when you tell her you don't like gin, and why people who don't drink have always been a part of her business model. Natasha wanted to make pretty clear as we sat down in the wake of shelves upon shelves of curved glass bottles behind the bar of the gin room that the St. Louis cocktail scene was thriving long before she opened her place on South Grand. She says they paved the way for what's happening here now. But what's exciting to see is now you do go to any cocktail bar, which there are some amazing cocktail bars here in Missouri, Kansas City, um, Springfield, St. Louis, um, that are really crushing it. And it is seeing that gin is becoming integral to those bar programs. Natasha literally learned to walk just steps away from where we sat in Cafe Natasha, the adjacent restaurant her parents opened when she was really young. She went out into the world, no intention really of ever taking over the family business. I finished my um, undergrad degree. I finished my master's degree. I wanted to pave a way for myself, but deeply and innately, the the restaurant industry had caught my soul. And so did gin. After a bartender at an old school place served her a martini with it instead of vodka the way the drink was originally intended to be mixed, by the way, and it blew her mind. I fell in love with something. Let's say you're in love with cars or comics or anything. What do you do? You nerd out on it. <laughs> you read everything or you get your hands on as many as you can. Or you, I, what I did was I tasted every gin I could. Um, I went and worked at a gin bar in Washington, D.C. I just wanted to be part of how the category of gin was exploding, not only globally, but the American craft movement in the United States. She learned from the bourbon connoisseurs, the winos, the beer guys, and eventually found her own people too. And once I started realizing it was not just me here, there was a whole kind of global network. There now we call ourselves the gin genies. (laughs) They'll appreciate that. But there were people doing this and there was a network globally. And I got to be part of that network. And I knew I wanted to convey that knowledge and bring it back to St. Louis. Eventually, she founded Gin World. Gin Week, Gin Festival, groups and gatherings devoted to learning and sharing this collective spirit. She not only found her people, she became a leader among them. But her roots, of course, ran intertwined with people of her Persian culture. When we opened the gin room almost eight years ago now, everyone told us, you can't open a gin bar because no one drinks gin. You can't open a gin bar in St. Louis, Missouri because it's a beer and bourbon town and no one drinks gin. And then I ended up opening a gin bar inside of a Persian restaurant. It was a leap, a leap of faith that I had in my city here and I knew we could do it. The Persian aspect of it, because yes, if you're driving down South Grand, I mean, there's so much to look at and see. It's a fantastic street we have here in St. Louis. South Grand has more ethnicities than Epcot Center. 
I love it. And it's cheaper and the food is better. So I like it. <laughs> All family run. Yes. And so when you come up the street here, you see it, it is a little jarring, though, when you see a Cafe Natasha as a Persian restaurant and then the gin room, it does seem like it's kind of random. I mean, for somebody who's new to St. Louis or doesn't know what they're what to expect with this. Have you ever had to deal with any pushback of somebody saying these two, you just you just can't? It was uh, an interesting obstacle and learning curve because um, alcohol and certain religious don't meld well together. And it was, it has continued to be an interesting um, change because in order to dine at Cafe Natasha, you have to walk through the gin room. And to um, many of our core demographic base for the last now 36 years, a lot of them don't partake in alcohol. Um, and so we've really tried to create a separation. Cafe Natasha has never changed. It's the same menu that's been for decades. We don't want to change that. We've tried to create an environment where if you're not partaking, there's no judgment there. There's not needed. You you can order from the Cafe Natasha menu and have nothing to do with the cocktail element of it. And the gin room, where if you want to more partake in spirits, it's the room that you first walk into. You'll notice it because the entire back bar, we have over 300 gins and um, clearly something you want to come into and try all these things. But we've tried to be very respectful of our guest base who's been coming here for decades to not make them feel like they're uncomfortable walking in in here um, and that they can stay at the same cafe Natasha without feeling uncomfortable that we serve alcohol here. Yeah, yeah. And really, too, I think that there's something to be said for, I mean, any um, restaurant in which a, a family run, you're serving the food of your people, your culture, it becomes your interpretation of it. And so over the course of 30 years, yes, that is its own spot. It is its own space and it stayed true to itself. But in some ways, I feel like the, the two places here, side by side, this is the interpretation of you. I mean, that's exactly it. My mother and father started this restaurant in 1983. But in the end, in order for me to take it on, I had to make it my own. And gin, she's found, is a good medium for that. Essentially, what makes a gin a gin is some sort of neutral tasting natural alcohol infused with juniper and sometimes other botanicals like herbs, seeds, spices. And it turns out that means you can go in a lot of different directions with that. Natasha is a member of the Gin Guild, which works to ensure that there's some sort of official distinction for what makes a legit quality distilled gin and what's basically a flavored vodka with a fancier name tag on. There are beautifully multi-gins that if you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell the difference between whiskey and that multi-barrel-aged gin. That's really exciting. There are times we have beautiful vegetal gins, some that are distilled with red bell peppers or tomatoes. And Ooh, that oh, yes, good. it becomes so many people's favorite, these Italian tomato gins, for example. They're beautiful in martinis, but they're things you don't 
think about when you think of gin. And so introducing to you to these savory olive distilled gins, um, seaweed distilled gin, it doesn't taste like seaweed. It tastes like this crisp salinity and people who love tequila or mezcal are excited for this agave-like crisp salinity um, savoriness that comes with people who like margaritas or such, right? Or their gins distilled with blackberries and blueberries and almond oil. And it has this mouthfeel that just makes you happy. Now, when I'm saying all these things and you hadn't said gin, you probably don't think I'm talking about gin. Then you say you may not like floral or overly floral gins, but then I might actually make you fall in love with a gin that's distilled with Turkish rose, raspberry, and peach, right? That doesn't sound unattractive to you. And it's like, maybe I didn't like it this way. Hendrix is an amazing gin, but it's this beautiful floral gin, but maybe it's not ideal in a dirty martini, but it's amazing in this gimlet that we make, right? So every gin is not necessarily great in every way and finding the right way to apply that to not only the individual person, but to the right cocktail. You kind of have to know a little bit more about what you're doing with it. Do you think that that might be part of the reason some people are so intimidated by it? It's definitely difficult to walk into a retail store and gin has pretty bottles. It, it has dies. really pretty bottles, but they don't, it doesn't really say enough on the bottle for you to understand what the flavor profile is going to be. It's another reason why Gin World, the gin room does so well is because you can walk into the gin room and have a gin tasting flight where we walk you through five different gins, or maybe if you want to do two, 10 different gins, where you understand there's a range and spectrum. When you walk in here and you have an open mind, you could walk out having an entirely different even, what is the word, confidence in your interest in gin. So let's play a little role-playing exercise here, okay? So I walk in, I see this cool-looking bar. I've heard, I've read, I know it's a place I've got to go in St. Louis because I'm a cocktail drinker. But Natasha, I don't know if I like gin. How do you respond to me on that? Well, you've already excited me. So you've already walked into my bar knowing and acknowledging to me that you don't like gin. To me, all I hear is they're willing to try something. That's what that says to me. They're open and willing to try something else, even if you say you don't want to. At least you walked in here knowing you want to try our experience. We have vodka. We have bourbon. We have all types of whiskey and we have a huge um, mezcal program, rum. We have literally two bars on premise. We have the garden bar, which is outside, and we have the gin room. But in the end, we want you to be happy. We want to listen to you. So what do you drink? What excites you? Yeah, okay, so today I, I like vodka. I typically am a vodka drinker in my cocktails. And that's honestly amazing because you already love the base of what gin is. Okay. Gin's base is a neutral base spirit. That's vodka. Gin adds botanicals to that beautiful vodka and makes it more vibrant. And so imagine 
gin as you taking vodka in a cocktail, right? It gives it flavor. You liked that beautiful cocktail that vodka was in. All gin does is take that and expand on it. Now, every gin is not for everyone. I am the first to admit that. I don't love every gin. They're not all for me, but it's being able to have the opportunity. You walked into my bar, have the opportunity to find the right gin or the right spectrum of gin that you might love. And if you said to me, you're a bourbon lover, I'm going to start you on barrel aged gins. If you tell me you're a vodka lover, honestly, I already have things that I'm going to try out on you, but I get excited when you try something for the first time and be like, Ooh, I'm kind of okay with this. And all it is, it's building trust between you and us that you're willing to allow us to listen to you and to follow your palate. And that's what we've done since we opened our doors. And it's what we've continued to do now. I have to ask, have you heard or seen the memes or the headlines on the articles online and things like that, that say, um, gin is the drink most associated with sociopaths? Oh, yep. Every time they get published, someone posts it on my social media. I obviously egging on a response. But I think what I see gin as is a spirit for people that are individuals. I love that answer. You're in an individual. Vodka has no flavor, which is great. No problem. I am not anti-vodka. Um, but gin is a way that, like, there's so many standout flavor profiles. If you to say to me, I love martinis and savory gins, oh, I already know we're going to be best friends, right? Um, or if you say, I like beautiful floral gins, I can almost identify certain aspects of your personality. And it's really fun because gins can match those things. You go and you find things and you're like, I fall in love with this type of thing. And I think it's exciting. It's more to talk about when you're on a date. It's more to talk about when you go into a bar. You can start conversations and create best friends based on these things. The same way now when you say, I love whiskey or bourbon, now everyone's like, well, everyone loves whiskey and bourbon, you know? I'm not saying there's not individuality, totally. But there's something a little bit more individual about um chin because there is such such a large spectrum. I also remember that feeling of, you know, being the vodka cocktail drinker. And I felt like I graduated when I started ordering gin cocktails. There was something that felt good about that. You said that, not me. Abby and I are such big fans of Natasha. She is an inspiration, someone that we love to see making waves and what can often be seen as a male-dominated industry. Plus, she's just an all-around pretty cool chick. Uh, Natasha also recently continued the big-time recognition with a mention in Eater's list of 26 essential St. Louis restaurants. That was written by our friend Holly Fan. I'll throw a link to that story in the episode notes. And I did also just learn that some of these gin events are coming back this year. The Gin Festival will take place on Friday, September 16th. And Gin World Gin Week events are set to go that same time frame, September 12th through 
through 18th, 2022. So be on the lookout on the Gin World website for more details about that as we get a little bit closer to it. Ooh la la! St. Louis is a 500 side production. I'm producer Dory Olmos. Be sure to check out keys2key.com and the 5 on your side app for more food content all week long. 